Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thanks for joining me again for another empowering and transforming conversation. If you are listening for the first time, first of all, I welcome you and hope you'll be joining me every week. And I also want you to know that this show is really my spiritual outlet. This is where I get to share amazing conversations with people who are dedicated to the spiritual journey, giving us the wisdom to assist us in transforming our lives, getting a greater connection to the unlimitedness that we are and the ability to transform and heal anything in our life that has been the source of, of a challenge, of a, of a pain in some way. And there's nothing more important than reconnecting to this infinite power that we have to create the life we want. So I am thrilled that you are here and I'm equally excited to introduce my guest to you and what we are talking about today. And the topic today is reclaim your body's bliss and reignite your passion for life, which is a great topic. And my guest is Dr. Rachel Allen. Let me just tell you a little bit about Rachel. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, certified yoga instructor, public speaker, and relationship columnist. She is the founder of Yoga Psych, a psychotherapy practice for adults that blends Western medicine with Eastern philosophy and connects the mind with the body. She has been in private practice for 15 years, working with individuals and couples dealing with sexuality, intimacy, and relationship problems, as well as trauma, depression, anxiety, and loss. She has been quoted in books and magazines, including Yoga Journal, Women's Health, Outside, Good Housekeeping, and Cosmopolitan. And Rachel released her first book, The Pleasure is All Yours, Reclaim Your Body's Bliss and Reignite Your Passion for Life. So we're going to have a fantastic conversation, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Rachel to the show today. So, Rachel, welcome to The Love Code. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Well, you are doing some interesting things. Um, I think it's always amazing when you can create your own unique system, right? So using all the experiences that you've had and putting it together into a unique system, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But before we go there, I always like to ask my guests, what was the, the journey that they were on that led them to the work that they do now. We all have a great story of what it was in our life that occurred that allowed us to find the real passion and purpose in our life. So what was your journey that allowed you to really find the, this particular unique expression of your spiritual service? Well, I can thank my parents for a lot of it. Um, my, I like to say that my mom uh, raised me in a real body-positive, sex-positive household, but mainly just really was very open and non-shaming, talking about the body, the reproductive body, relationships, you know, all in the, at an age-appropriate time and an age-appropriate way. So I felt like I grew up really kind of blessedly free from 
some of those um, aspects of guilt and shame around my body that a lot of females have. I, I wasn't completely free. I was still a, a woman, a woman in the Western world with all the messages. But it de- definitely, I think, her influence helped counteract that. And then my father was really a champion of the athletic side of me, and I was, I was, I guess back then we called it a tomboy, but I was really always interested in sports and different activities and endurance sports. And so I think while my mom cultivated sort of the pleasurable side of my body, my dad helped cultivate the kind of the empowered side of my body through movement and physical release. And I noticed just how much it gave me mental clarity. Um, and so I think that those are the two things I really unite in my work is a lot of this mind-body connection as well as this sort of connection to our sensual self and our body and our, the pleasures of our body, kind of the healthy pleasures within and, um, you know, what can be found when we bring these together and how it can help us really self-regulate and thrive. Well, that's an interesting combination, especially, um, well, both of those are interesting early experiences to have in life, which is uh, for many of us, I and mean, it's quite unique to have those kinds of introductions to um, understanding your body and your sexuality, and also to encourage you to get into the physical side of things. Uh, I guess your dad was involved in sports, right? It must have been an, an interest in his uh, life as well. Yes, definitely. Skiing, um, the, the whole jogging boom of the 80s. Yeah, we um, we were a very active family. And then we, we lived all summer in Wisconsin at a cabin, and so I ran around there. So, yeah, really felt so lucky to be connected to the outdoors and physical activity and movement. And um, just and it, I realize now, too, just how much it helped me channel my energy, kind of my, uh, you know, as a more, more hyperactive kid, and yet I was able to really focus and study in school, and I don't think I could have done that if they hadn't really helped cultivate my athletic side. So, so it's interesting you use the hyperactive, because you probably just were a very energetic, vital child, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you should be, <laughs> enjoying yeah. the outdoors right, right. and being physical, right? That's a good, yeah, that's true. It's sort of like how we language things or the perspective we have, you know, yeah. I was probably just a kid being a kid, um, but yeah. but it, it was just a really good way to kind of yeah channel my my physical release and my mental focus. So, what did that evolve into in your life? Well, I ended up, um, you know, I got recruited in college to ski Division One, and this is cross country skiing, the more kind of grueling, savage of the types of skiing. Um, at least cardiovascularly. Um, and then, and then also in, um, after college, I worked in, um, different, I was, I did peer education at a lot of kind of family planning centers, family planning clinics. And, uh, then I ended up deciding to go to graduate school in the Bay Area. And that's where I did a lot with, um, sex therapy and gender issues. Uh, and then it, it really wasn't until after graduate school when I got my yoga teaching certification that then I really was able to have more of a language and a sense of understanding and about somatic psychology. So that, you know, bringing in the body and understanding trauma in the body. So it's kind of kept building from there. And, and yeah, that's what I keep expanding into is learning more about somatic psychology and learning more about just the, the role of, of 
um, you know, relationship therapy, relationship to our bodies and our pleasures and sharing that with others. So what is somatic therapy for those that never heard that term before? Yeah, and somatic is, it means really the, the body. And so it is any practitioner, it's a very general term, but it's a practitioner who really does therapy that incorporates the body as well. So I always like to say that as a psychologist, yes, we, we do talk therapy, but we also do therapy that invites the body into the conversation. So I'm never wanting to leave out the way the person, you know, their breathing patterns, their muscular patterns, their muscular dynamics, their kind of neuroskeleton pattern, and and they're all all the different systems within, and the ways that maybe that they have really still have trauma stuff in their body through their nervous system patterns and reactivity and their fascia. So we like to yeah, I like to incorporate movement and breathing and walking sessions, and so I'm always keeping that in mind alongside the more intellect, the cognitive side of things. Which is um, so powerful, really, to incorporate. You know, I I actually have been a a psychotherapist for many years, and the one thing that attracted me was non-traditional ways of doing therapy, because just sitting and talking about your problems will never resolve anything, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that, that's never the where true change and transformation happens. So it's working with so many other tools that get you more in touch with yourself and bring things to your own awareness. And, and, and I guess that's where that somatic therapy can be so powerful because just changing a posture or just changing your breath can open up new awarenesses and insights and new thoughts as well. Right. It doesn't have to be that complicated or that a lot of time. I think that, for example, I will do a five-minute meditation at the beginning of my sessions, at least five minutes. So just to always start that way doesn't mean we might not do more later. But in that four to five minutes at the beginning, I have so many clients say just, oh, wow, that really made a difference. You know, thank you. And those few minutes of time, they really reset from where they came from, rushing from work or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, just even a few minutes can really have an impact in self-regulation. Well, that makes so much sense because you're moving out of that stress, sympathetic, uh, sympathetic nervous system response and kind of taking a breath and getting into your receptive, what we call the parasympathetic, the relaxed place, the place where you're open to receive rather than uh, in the stress, basically shut down state, right? So um, that's just a great idea for everybody coming home from work and do some breathing yeah. or do a meditation, right? Changes your state entirely. Right. And I love doing walking sessions with clients. I have a lot of clients that enjoy that. Um, I've also had on and off at times offices in which I've had an aerial silk. So people might spend some of the time in that aerial silk and, and kind of that lightness and maybe feeling of being back in the womb. And so or also just roll up the yoga mat. Um, so it's, I just really like giving people choice and options for how we can incorporate the body into the session as well. So let's talk about what you found, this what you call yoga psych. And can you 
change that a little bit more? What you know? What did you put together and integrate into your unique expression? Well, my business name is Yoga Psych, and at the time, yoga was my really was my main. At the beginning, it was really my only somatic tool, and I've since expanded it to other body-based methods. So. So Yoga Psych, even though it's my business name, it's really expanded, and, and that's part of why I uh, what I talk about um, in the book about uh, bodyfulness. But but really, it is this way of um, saying that we you know we want to look at how the body is holding on to the past and past trauma, and how we can't just intellectualize our way through everything. Um, we certainly because the trauma lives in the body, so that's that's it's really a recognition of how, whether it be yoga or walking or breathing or some other different sorts of somatic methods that come from, for example, somatic experiencing from Peter Levine is a big one I draw upon as well. Um, it's really saying that we, you know, we want to honor the body, not only what is going on within the body, but having our own agency, developing tools in our toolbox to release some of that older stuff that, that's lodged in our body and those patterns that are stuck um, in order to be able to, to really keep recalibrating and um, and not feel like we're always stuck in old patterns. So it's really recognizing what's going on within the body, but then also having tools of the what next, what do we do with what's going on within. And I think maybe it's um, helpful to expand a bit on what you said about the trauma being held in the body. Uh, I, I don't know if people really understand that or know how to interpret if what they're feeling is a trauma. So I think that's a good place to kind of elaborate a bit more, Rachel. Of how how they can know whether they have trauma in their well, body or what, what that looks well, like? Well, what that, what that actually means when you say this trauma mm-hmm. is in the body. What does it actually mean? How do you recognize it? How does it show up? Well, one example, since I do a lot with relationships, there can be clients that really, they they have mental insights into maybe the fact that they, for example, somebody who might choose unavailable people, people who are emotionally unavailable. So they might have this recognition that they have developed this pattern and cognitively get that, but then they don't understand why their behavior is such that they kind of keep being attracted or drawn to certain types and not attracted and kind of run away from people who might be emotionally available. And so part of what we do is I really like to develop like a baseline of people having awareness of patterns in their body when they're stressed, when there's ease, and, you know, where they can feel that, whether it be about their body temperature or their breath or muscular dynamics or digestion or kind of intuition, energy leaning in something or wanting to avoid something so that they can practice that on on a more day-to-day basis so that when there is something a little more challenging or tricky or sticky like a relationship or going on a date with somebody, that they can stay in their body versus associate or sort of time travel in a way that leads them to these somewhat subconscious, very subconscious and embodied Patterns. So it really takes a lot of practice, I think, to start to learn the language of, of the body, the language of their sensations, and how they've always been there and have always been alongside all of their intellectual choices and, and behaviors. 
um, in their relationship. So that's that's an example of what's common for me is working with people who have these unconscious and embodied patterns around relationships that they don't quite realize, um, you know, is holding them back from what they mentally really want to get past and know they should. So how does, um, just exploring this a bit further, uh, how does that awareness of tuning into the body help someone who, let's say, has this recurring pattern of being attracted to those who are emotionally unavailable? What is the process that leads them to make new choices in relationships? As an example, because I'm sure there are many patterns mm-hmm. we can talk about in relationships, but how, how would you explain um, how that process works and maybe have an example in someone you've worked with? Yeah, well, I think it would be for something like that, you know, you're really talking about relational trauma. So it would be, we would work through a combination of kind of trying to piece together where the relational trauma started, the origins of that, what's maintained it, um, how it's familiar. And then as we talk about it, also really tracing what shows up in the body, any sort of patterns of does the jaw clench and does at the same time as the stomach, you know, do they round the shoulders? And the ways that the, the body can might contract as well as they talk about these sorts of things and really develop some tools such as softening the jaw, bringing the hands to the heart to soothe the heart, hands to the belly to do some belly breathing, starting to develop some of some agency and ways that they, they can soothe in that moment as the mind body are, are time traveling a bit. And we'd, we'd have to pair that too with a lot of just self worth, you know, work on self-worth and, and self-love and and where there might be these trapped emotions. So I might also have somebody warm up and do some heart openers, some yoga heart openers or some, a lot of times the hips and the heart can store, you know, a lot of emotions. So maybe we'd also work up towards some sort of poses that would really help release um, from the hips and the fascia and the connective tissue there, some of that contraction that goes way back. So I would help them to figure out a plan to do at home on their own and to practice, you know, and to also continue going maybe to some studios and to focus on some of those patterns they notice in their body. Yeah, you know, I think most people don't um, don't appreciate uh, people dealing with with patterns that are unsatisfactory in relationships, which will always come up, by the way, in relationships. You know, mm-hmm. that was an area oh, yeah. that I spent a lot of time studying and, and using in my practice and helping to unravel the mystery of relationships. But every relationship is going to, at some point, come up against the wound, right, that both both partners have. And uh, that's the place where you get into the power struggle stage of a relationship. And um, that's where often people get stuck. It's the source of great stress and a great confusion, right? Because people suddenly, suddenly find that they're in a conflict stage with someone that they, they truly love, but all of a sudden there is this dynamic that's going on that's creating these really uncomfortable ripples. And it's, um, it, it gets so confusing and, and people don't know what to do. And often the mind always goes to, I got to get out of here is the only solution. But actually it's not generally <laughs> the first choice is not to just get out of there. It's to understand 
what the relationship is here to teach you. So, uh, yeah, that's my thought. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear yeah. on it. Well, I think and that's why I've been drawn to relationships because they can be such wonderful teachers, really powerful, really challenging, really hard, but also really beautiful teachers, whether it be romantic partnerships or even you know, family, certainly, even just colleagues and neighbors. But um, I think that we can learn so much about ourselves and our relationships. And we are wired to be in relationships. We are meant to be these relational creatures. And so it's really worth really learning how to be our best selves in relationships. Um, but, but yeah, they, I think if we can recognize that what comes up in us in relationships is this mirror for us to tend to, to kindly and compassionately tend to kind of our old, old wounds or old storylines, I think that there's so much growth that can be found, even in short-term relationships. I think there can often be, I've noticed with a lot of other relationship and couples therapists, there's such an emphasis on that if you, you know, really want it, the goal is to be in a forever relationship. Um, and that might be some people's goal, but not everybody's. And the nature of relationships is changing so much. But I really like to point out that, you know, even in shorter relationships, there's still so much to be gained, so much to learn that we shouldn't denigrate those as being, you know, less than or, um, you know, mean that you're a failure if maybe you have a series of shorter or longer-term relationships versus that one person forever, at least certainly from a learning standpoint, from a depth standpoint. It doesn't always, you know, it doesn't just have to be people that you've been with for decades. Well, especially because you attracted into your life, so <laughs> there is something to be learned, right? Something to be learned. If it's in your life, there's something to be learned. Every relationship is a mirror of oneself. Mm. So it's being able to have enough awareness to recognize that there's a gift here, which is the journey. I think that's so much the journey of, of self-awareness and part of what we would call that spiritual awakening is to understand that everything that shows up in our life and the way we respond or react to it is insight into oneself, one's own unresolved issues, the dark side, um, the shadow side, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, which makes life very rich then because we are truly growing if we can own it rather than stay in blame and victimization. Yes, that's, those are all such valid points. I think that you know, getting out of that victim mentality and really taking accountability, really learning um, and understanding our own actions and and trying to do so with as much compassion as possible. You know, we aren't going to grow if we're just stuck in shame and guilt and self-blame. So that's where, yeah, having really kind-hearted accountability of like, oh, I see these are some of my patterns and understanding that they all came from a place of, you know, earlier in life when we were doing the best that we could and we – we're trying to figure things out and our dysfunctional ego sort of grew from all of that confusion or, or trauma. Um, but, but yeah, it's, we're all co-creators. And like you said, we do, I think your point about magnets being kind of magnetizing the things that come into our life, that can sometimes be a big one for people to think that, whoa, wait, I'm, why would I choose this? Why would I choose somebody who was, you know, emotionally abusive to me or something along those lines? It's, but so, Ultimately, though, it's freeing, very freeing when we see that we are a co-creator, we are an architect of all of this, and we can also be a creator of something different. 
Just imagine, Rachel, if we were taught some of this knowledge and wisdom in schools, <laughs> in, in grade schools, you know, throughout our early formative years, a model to understand ourselves and to make the most of the experiences. I, I guess, you know, uh, maybe monks, you know, Buddhist monks have an opportunity <laughs> to grow up with that level of awareness and tools and resources so we can, um, you know, navigate much more uh, joyfully through life rather than feel we're in this, you know, frustrating, uh, you know, unsatisfying situation. I, anyway, that's just my fantasy. It's like, wow, if you're really good in tools, but um, what we learned. So we need to learn them now because there are tools and there are um techniques like you are doing in your practice and what you've written about that help people to be guided to the greater understanding of of what's in their life and the gifts that that brings them so they can then move on and create even greater satisfaction, not have to recreate the pattern. Uh, absolutely, Cheryl. When I think of how if only we all grew up in school and we had you know, introduction to emotions and feelings. And if we had classes all about communication, especially relationships, communication or communication around around relationships, um, it's so essential. It's so vital and core what we need as human being. And it's it's sad that it hasn't been valued. I have heard that now it's getting better, at least you know more around uh, feelings and emotions. I don't know if kids are growing up with communication skills and relationships as much, but um, I do hope that that is something that is to be required in every school system. Okay, so let's let's talk about your book because you have some interesting um, ideas, and uh, I, I think there are um, ways and tools that can help inspire people. So your book is called "The Pleasure Is All Yours," which is subtitled to "Reclaim Your Body's Bliss and Reignite Your Passion for Life." So let's explore some of the uh, themes and some of the ideas and even some of the, the tools that you have in your book to help people re, you know, find their body's bliss and reignite their passion. Yeah, I really love uh, talking to people and helping people learn about body fullness. And so this is the, really based on the fact that, you know, mindfulness is really exploded and mindfulness is, is can be quite powerful. And yet I find it to still be really um, connected to how our, our American culture is so kind of obsessed with the mind and expects the mind to be really the problem solving for all. We put a lot of a lot of emphasis on the mind, you know, the mind is, is where it's all at. And, but really the mind and the body are working together all the time. And, and it, it seemed to me is like we're leaving out this really potent part of ourselves, which is the body that's also working right there alongside the, the mind. And so, Thoughtfulness is, I'll start with more of a succinct explanation and can expand, but just at the most basic level, it's really first starting to have like embodied, embodied mindfulness of just saying what's happening in my body. What do I notice? What is it telling me? What are these patterns? What is the language of my body and sensations and, and, um, and what, you know, my intuition? And then this is where it really goes beyond mindfulness. It goes then into like the what next or the now what. What do I do with this information of what I kind of notice happening within me? And that's where I really love bringing in um, the somatic 
therapy tools, you know, helping people with discharge methods to release from the body or methods to cultivate containment in the body. So a lot of this is really about then um, developing agency and self-regulation. It could be anything from exercise to foam rolling to massage to going into a, a closet or uh, having a weighted blanket for containment. So it's really helping people start to invite the body in and, and finding different ways to move and regulate feel centered and grounded again. And then from that place, it gets us into the third and final part of bodyfulness, which is allows us to really then step into kind of our confidence and introception. Introception is having that deep inner mind-body, specifically of the body, intelligence of like, what do I really need right now? Like, what's really going on? Incorporating kind of all the systems within, not just the mind, which covers off the body. Um, and then that really allows us to step more into joy and joy and healthy types of pleasure. Um, and I talk a lot in the book, too, about how we've had a lot of repression around feeling good and pleasure in our body and, and how bodyfulness can help us heal that as well. Now, I'll stop there. I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there. Um, uh, well, I was thinking that, uh, well, first of all, can you give us, uh, you know, in, in your practice, I'm sure you have some, you know, great stories from uh, the uh, patients you've worked with, your clients. Do you have any that come to mind that explain or become an example of how powerful this work is? Uh, yeah, let's see. I mean, I think that there's a lot of people that, you know, it's kind of a constant practice. You know, it's like they say it's a yoga practice. Or, so a lot of people and and kind of – who uh, stories in which they talk about how you know they felt sort of frozen in, in this circumstance, and then they remembered to do a ragdoll pose, and they re remembered to start sighing, and it really kind of brought them back uh, online. I've had a lot of stories along those lines of how they just they noticed that they changed the patterns of dissociating and freezing, and they were able to like really um, start doing some movements, some sighing, some shaking, some Twisting, different things that then kind of brought them back in mind. And, you know, especially when there's like an argument with a partner, too, where they found uh, ways to root themselves, put their feet on the ground, bring their hands to their center, take some belly breaths, look around the room and the space to reorient, and that then they were able to, to approach the uh, really weighty topic with their partner in a whole new light. So I have kind of a lot of just a lot of different examples of these moments, moment by moment examples in which people redirected themselves, and they it's like they say that how the that moment between stimulus and response is so powerful, like so much of the power in our lives lives there, and that's what I've noticed a lot of, of clients say that they were able to really respond versus react. Um, so it's, it's it's kind of a composite, I guess, I'm coming up with now versus one particular case study. Um, but it, it it really helps people feel so empowered and, and to have kind of agency that their body isn't hijacking them, or their mind or body isn't hijacking them, that they're able to be more in the driver's seat. So, um, you, you know, you mentioned um, when a person is frozen and then working with some of the awareness. So... I, uh, let's explore that term a bit more. Uh, you know, I'm always, I'm, I think it's really important for 
for people who are listening to have some more insights into themselves and we have these conversations. So that's why I think being, uh, this concept of being frozen is part of a trauma response. But um, maybe you can explain in more detail what that means, what that is, what it looks like, so people can recognize it within themselves and from there learn some other strategies. Yeah, I think it's, it is really powerful when people can find out their nervous system patterns. So whether it be the fight response, flight response, freeze response, or fawn, those are, and that's sort of also called sort of the appease. So fight, fight, flight, freeze, appease, or fawn. Um, and so the fight response is pretty much as it sounds. It can come across as a lot of kind of anger or aggression, um, and, um, real assertiveness, not necessarily always in the healthiest way, but really the leaning in, the maybe the rage or the anger or, um, you know, the it's a very, it's a charge of, of the, the nervous system trying to protect the person. Whereas for flight, it, it can look like, you know, whether it be leaving the room or, or um, maybe going and being kind of a workaholic and avoiding and not dealing with things, um, you might turn to emotional eating and sort of numb up that way too. The ways you're you're really kind of escaping reality for the flight. With the freeze, that's really yeah, dissociating. Like you're there, but you're not really there. You're not truly present. You're really more spacey. Did you kind of not really so much tracking, um, and you're. It's like your body's there, but your mind is just off, daydreaming, spacing out, um, and and it's like a way to cope by not really fully being there. Um, or and sometimes it literally is like you are actually truly frozen too. And then with the fawning nervous system response, that's a lot of people pleasing and um, being more obsequious behavior and really just. Uh, wanting to get in the good graces of somebody and doing what they want. You're putting your own needs aside. You're you're the yes person. You're kind of always there for others and doing things, and that's just like a way that you can feel you can survive. They're all survival strategies, and people can have a predominant one or they can have a combination of maybe where they do a, you know, a variety. Or, um, but some, most people might have one that's more predominant. Um, and in general, we want to help move people into uh, more of a fight or flight. Um, the more freeze and dissociation is probably the most unhealthy because then you really are talk about really letting the trauma just stay lodged in your body and stay stuck, um, and and kind of keep you trapped in that. So that's that's part of the progression of what we want to help people with as far as balancing their nervous system. So so when you freeze, when something is triggering you, you freeze. It's like Sometimes you can't think of, it's like, is there like a confusion? You can't think of what's going on. You can't think of what to say. You don't know why it's all happening. Is that part of a freeze response for people? Yeah, yeah, that can definitely be part of it. Yeah, just, it is, it is sort of like the mind and body just really shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the opposite yeah. of having that clarity and being online. And that's why some of the fight or flight, it gets you mobilized. It gets that fluidity, it gets that agency and empowerment going, but also that can be problematic depending on the way that you fight or flight. Um, and and it's our, it's fine to have any of these. It's just a matter of we want to move through and complete the cycle to get to a place of ease. We want to get to the place where we feel 
like we discharge the, the stress or trauma at the moment and get back to a place where we feel like we're back online, we're back centered and grounded, and we can then really have more clarity, rationality, um, and, and, and presence. Yeah, I think that, you know, this whole, the bigger picture, this whole journey, why you want to learn this, why you want to invest in, in um, assistance and guidance and therapists and, you know, yoga sessions or, or, you know, whatever, read your book. All of this is because it's the journey that we all, first of all, it's the journey we all have to go through in life. If we really want to find a life that's much more, joyful and meaningful and, and healthy, basically, because carrying these patterns around, which is, we all have them. It's part of the human experience here, but it's not something that is um, here to, uh, to torture us. It's here to be a catalyst for change, right? So we can move into a greater connection of our self-love and possibility. But um, so it's inevitable that you're going to have something in your life that's Bring some some degree of distress, and that distress gets translated into the body. You're constantly, whether you're aware of it or not, if you're dealing with freeze or with a flight or reaction, this level of stress going on, which means your adrenals are always pumping, <laughs> and it's going to have a physiological impact as well. So it's like it's the it's the requirement of humans to grow and to heal. And um, we need to learn these tools and resources to tap into more of who we are. And I think, you know, putting it in that context of inspiring people to, you know, there are ways to get out of the, the, the pain and the stress that you're in. But it's not by rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, as they say. You just can't. It's not about letting relationships go. It's not about changing jobs. It's about changing oneself. And that's really what we're talking about here. Right, right. And it, it really takes practice. It takes compassion. It takes self-love. It's like a it's a real journey. And really being able to see, yeah, like you said earlier, our shadow as well. Uh, being able to understand that the history too. And, and I think too, just to try to come back, you know, recognize like on the soul level, and and you know, our unchanging essence, you know, is there underneath all of that too they're kind of waiting for us to be able to just to love ourselves to know how to to really navigate some of these challenges in life so that we can show up as our best selves um but i but i do believe yeah if all of the moments of dis-ease that we encounter become disease if we don't really treat them and and i'm i like that western medicine is slowly starting to get that, to see that more and more, to see this emotional connection to our physical illness as well. Well, as you know and as I know, and, and you know, that's the root cause of all physical manifestations of disease. There is, there is a, mm-hmm. an unresolved emotional wound there. Um, you know, I was thinking, I, I know you shared earlier that you do some exercises to help get people back into their present state in their bodies. Uh, and I thought that might be something nice to share with my listeners. Um, how does that sound to take us through a little relaxation, mindfulness experience? Sure, yeah. But do you know about how many minutes you might want? 
oh, I don't know, like four minutes or so, four or five minutes we have. All right. All right. So this is going to be a nice, beautiful opportunity to go into that part of our body. So I would invite you to just know that you can either close your eyes or if you don't want to close the eyes, you can just soften your gaze, maybe find one place to bring your gaze and just soften the eyes or close them. And then notice your physical body. Just notice the position and let yourself move around a bit to get more comfortable and just as comfortable as possible. And then let's really connect to self by bringing the hands onto the physical body. So you could bring both of your hands to your abdomen or both of your hands to your heart center or maybe one hand on the heart, one hand at the abdomen. So they're at your center, feeling your physical body, connection to self, spreading the fingers, feeling this visceral part of you and this physical part of you. And then let's really fire up the breath, really get to know the mood of your breath, the nature of your breath right now. So start by being curious about what kind of mood your breath is in. Have you really even been paying any attention to it? Has it been kind of ignored? Does it feel kind of choppy and, and rigid in the upper chest? Or is it, does it feel more fluid, full, dynamic, going into the lower lobes of the lungs? And then let yourself breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. So a few rounds of exhaling out the mouth to start. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Feel the rise and fall of the chest and the abdomen, especially with your hands there at your center. And let yourself find a rhythm, a nice rhythm to the breath, like an ocean wave, oceanic breath. And as you exhale, you can now transition to exhaling out the nose if you don't want to keep exhaling out the mouth. But each time you do exhale, notice if you can soften some area of your body. So maybe even start from the crown and work your way down. So as you exhale, maybe soften at the brow, soften at the jaw, all the facial muscles. You can open and shut the jaw. Squeeze the facial muscles tight and then release them. You could turn the neck side to side. And as you continue to focus on releasing on your exhales, you can work your way down to softening the shoulders, rolling back the shoulders. Breathing into the belly, softening in the abdomen. Finding some nice belly breath. It's really descending into the belly at the solar plexus, this powerful energetic center. You can soften in the fingers, down to the toes. So any place you notice constriction, let that soften as you exhale now. And then from here, let's find a gentle moving meditation. So release the hands down by your side. And then when you're ready to inhale, reach the arms up high, stretch and reach. And then as you exhale, let the hands come back down. 
down. So starting nice and gentle. So move at the pace of your breath. So when you're ready to inhale, you reach up high. When you're ready to exhale, you let the hands come down. And if that works and feels good in your body, do that two more times. Inhale, stretch even more. Exhale, lower. And again, reaching high on that inhale and releasing on the exhale. Just build a little bit more on that for a twist. So now you'll inhale, reaching arms high. This time, exhale to find a twist. Bring the left hand to the right knee and your right hand behind you, looking towards the right shoulder for a final twist. And now next time you inhale, come back through center, reaching the arms high. And exhale, finding a twist, the right hand to the left knee, left hand behind you, looking towards the left shoulder. And if that feels okay in your body, keep doing that. Where you inhale, coming back to center, arms high, and you exhale, wringing out the spine, twisting. So on the right side this time, and then you'll come back to center, twist over towards the left. And let's make our way on with an inhale back to center, arms high, and then exhale, arms back, down by your side. And before we transition and kind of start to wrap up, I'd love for us to just do some good old-fashioned shaking. Like we are an animal that's just gotten out of the water and is shaking some of the water off. So start by shaking the right arm, the right hand. It can just kind of look however it needs to be. And then add in shaking out the left arm and left hand, discharging energy, moving blood through. And now invite in, whether you're sitting or standing, that right leg, shaking out the leg, lifting up the knee. Let it just look kind of primal and animalistic because a lot of what bodyfulness is is about really coming into our more primal animal selves as a way to move that stress and trauma through. Left leg, shaking that one too, maybe alternating one leg to the other. And just let yourself now take a few more breaths to just kind of shake and wiggle and move in different ways. You can add in rolling back the shoulders and the releasing the jaw. Uh, maybe even arch and round the back a few times like a cat-cow. It's really just sort of intuitive flowing movement. We don't always have to be so buttoned up and so rigid with some of our movements. We can shake. We can sigh. In fact, let's do that. Let's have, let yourself let out a nice open mouth sigh. Ah, oh, audible release. Let that really, that really helps with the vagus nerve and the body. Just letting there be that discharge at the throat, the bottleneck between the head and the heart. And just let yourself come back to your seat or are in your seat, just release the hands by your side. Just kind of notice, scan the body and just notice how you feel. I think that might have been about six minutes. Um, and just evaluate kind of how you're feeling now with that gentle moving, checking in, and then that physical and auditory release. That was great, Rachel. You know, I appreciate you doing that because it really gives people an experience. When you, when you do that kind of mindfulness, it takes you out of the thinking mind. And because you're focused in paying attention, right, to things you need to do, you're back in the present moment. 
And and that's where you calm down, you know, and you're more present, mm-hmm. which gives you an opportunity to, you know, reevaluate things. You're not in a reactive place. And, you know, my favorite way to, to start meditation or any kind of breath work or any, you know, any any form like that when I'm working with people is to get them to very, very slowly, slowly just move their head around, right? So just move it around to one side and then move it to the other. And just and, and do it very, very, very slowly. So by doing that and paying attention to all the, the, the um, sensations that are occurring, you know, whether it's tight, whether it's painful, whether whatever you've got. By doing it very, very slowly, mm-hmm. by paying attention, you're in the present, and then people can go into a meditation better, right? Because the mind is present again. So people who say they can't meditate, well, it's because you, you know, you sit down and the mind's also reeling around. But if you did, you know, a, a, an exercise like you just shared with us, if you do a simple way to just move your head from one side to the other, extremely slowly paying attention to every sensation that you come across, you move back into the present moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And it's right there within. What I love about bodyfulness is just how it, it's really all within us. It's something we can take with us wherever we go. We don't need a pill, a prescription. We don't need a lot of money to buy something fancy or a gadget. It is really, a, it's all about just shifting our relationship to ourselves, to our bodies, to our responses, to our emotions. It's really folding in that emotional intelligence with our body's own innate healing that, that exists within us. But as I talk about in the first third of the book, I, that's where I kind of explain, like, how did we get to be one of the most repressed countries, the United States being the most one of the most repressed countries in the world when it comes to kind of pleasure and body connection and our emotional intelligence. So. Um, it, I just like to remind people that this does exist within you. And even when we were children and growing up, we were actually, in a lot of ways, even though our frontal lobes had a lot of development left to do, there was a way in which we did have this really primal and kind of innate uh, wisdom in the body that we, we let ourselves move, we let ourselves dance, we let ourselves kind of listen to those signals and needs from, from the body, we let ourselves release our emotions. So we, we have that in us, and it's just about really – removing the blocks and getting back to it. Yeah, how beautiful because um, we are, have have been um, designed and programmed to be so mental, you know, we're, we're thinking beings, um, but we are often so disconnected from what's going on emotionally, what's going on physically, so we can't really fully embrace life and have that sense of pleasure and joy if we're just trying to figure things out all the time. I, you know, you don't figure things out. You get back into that state that you guided us into so beautifully, you're in the present moment, and then your inner knowingness presents you with the aha moments or with the intuition that guides you. But you can never figure out anything. It doesn't happen <laughs> with that part of our brain. It happens when we can listen and listen to the guiding wisdom within us to um, give us the the directions or the answers or the creative input that we may be looking for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And my my hope is that with 
the tools of bodyfulness, it really leads people to receive more of life's pleasures, you know, whether it be from the senses and sensuality and nature and food or with playfulness and creativity or with, you know, flow states and, um, and, and really kind of being really dialed in or with erotic pleasures. Um, letting ourselves receive that, and, and we, but we can only really receive those sorts of things if yeah we're, we're out of our survival mode. So, like you're saying, a lot of people I think can get stuck in survival mode and really get stuck in their heads and their thoughts are looping. And in yoga, we call it the monkey mind. And so, I want to help people know that hey, you know what? There is there are resources there within you. I know that you want to think your way through everything, but if we actually take a little break from all that overthinking and we go to some of these, you know, aspects of the body that like, like the meditation we did, for example, or, you know, all sorts of things, you know, outside or with practitioners, we can come back into our thinking in a more, much more clear, refreshed way. Um, and it, but yeah, it requires some practice. It always requires practice to make changes. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I just want people to know where they can go to learn more about you, and that's to your website, which is Rachel Allen, and Allen is spelled A-L-L-Y-N dot com, so it's Rachel Allen, A-L-L-Y-N dot com. Um, what else um, do people need to know about what you are doing, what you're offering? Why don't you share with us some of the yeah. possibilities? Yeah, and just to, just to clarify, the website is drrachelallen.com. So there's two R's there. Oh. Rachelallen.com. Oh. But yeah, so it's drrachelallen.com. But um, right now, um, I just announced I am doing a yoga retreat in February in Cuba, actually. Um, and then in addition to kind of my book, I also have, um, it's for people who are in the Minneapolis in the St. Paul Twin Cities area, I do teach a, like a monthly special uh, yoga class that's free. Um, I have, and then I have a YouTube channel that has some different interviews with people from different meditations, just free meditations, like a yoga nidra meditation, which is one that can help people feel really restored. It, it, it's, they say it's the next closest thing to sleep. Um, and then I have, I do have a professional Instagram, which is um, at, at Dr. Rachel Allen, which just has some different interviews as well, some different quotes, some different, you know, teachings also to where I know some of my um, other events. And so those are some of the ways to find me. Well, lots of great things. And, of course, you want to pick up a copy of Rachel's book, which is The Pleasure is All Yours, Reclaim Your Body's Bliss and Reignite Your Passion for Life. So um, lots of good things that you're doing, Rachel. Okay, we have just a minute to go. Do you have Kind of the last last thought you want to share with everyone? Uh, I guess I would just say, um, you know, the only way out is, is through, you know. It's like we might want to bypass some of the, the hard work, but that's kind of doing that is what gets us to the other side, that where we can feel, you know, some of the liberation to kind of be back to our our best selves and our, and our soul. So, but we got to, yeah, get through that kind of those issues in our tissues. The issues are in our tissues a lot of the time. So, um, um, well, it's, I, yeah, it's really transformational work. And, and I have my way of saying it. It goes, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always done. So yeah, it's time to make some changes and incorporate them on an ongoing basis to bring about real lasting change. Uh, Rachel, it's been such a delight having you on the show. I, you know, greatest success to you and all the work you're doing. And uh, Cuba sounds pretty good to me. 
So we'll <laughs> about what you're doing. Um, so uh, go to Dr. Rachel Allen, and again, Allen is A-L-L-Y-N.com. Um, and uh, thanks, Rachel, for being with us today. And thank you all my listeners for tuning in again to The Love Code, and uh, I'll be back again next week. And until then, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.